The following is an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by President of Applied Vision Works, Don Hadley. So this is Don Hadley with Building a Leadership Culture podcast. I've got Leanne Garms from Raleigh Neurology. We just did part one, and it was focused very much on leadership, but about the self-awareness, self-control, being present, identifying your authentic style, and very fascinating podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I think you need to listen to it. She is very much a servant leader. I think of her more as someone that brings results with love, and so kind of covers both sides of the equation. But in this podcast, we're going to talk more about teams and cultures, because I find a lot of times we can be tremendously powerful leaders, but if it's primarily one-on-one interactions, particularly once you get an organization over a couple hundred people, it gets very difficult to run the organization. You've got to become powerful with the team and the culture and really creating a dynamic. In fact, you're having to rely on a lot of other people to do a lot of the leadership for you in essence. And that's the wonderful thing and also the sad truth of it. So just Leanne, any thoughts at the moment? Uh, What's running kind of through your head? So many things. I mean, the the first being of which two are creating teams and effective teams for most people are one of those things where Everybody teaches those concepts to me from the perspective very often that you are starting from scratch. It's kind of like you're building the new house, you're building the airplane, when Mm -hmm. in reality, when does that ever happen for you, (laughs) right? I mean, very typically, you're going into an organization that either already has defined teams, right, or already has people. So you're really trying to change the fuel on that airliner while it's en route, right, from LA to New York, right? And so you don't really really get the opportunity in my mind to create the optimal team necessarily. You're working with the resources that you have. And so the things that are resonating with me there while you're saying that is really, it is about cultivating and figuring out what you have and putting together that puzzle. How do you figure out what you have, though? Because if you're just coming into a team of people, they're already existing, there's a lot of relationships, there's norms, there's just a lot of stuff that you may not be aware of immediately. How do you understand that team and get to know? You shut up and listen. Okay. Right? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And oftentimes, and especially if you're coming in as a new project manager, as a new leader, you're coming in and expected to own this group that you absolutely know nothing about and take them over day one, right? It is often what you're taught, and especially in a, in a corporate environment, where to me and where I've been at my best is when I go into a new place, whether I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole or I'm running the place. Okay. The first thing that I do is listen and learn. Okay. I think, I think are that's, you doing this individually with them as a group? What, what's how are you? Both. Both. I think what's the from difference that perspective, because oftentimes what people bring in a group dynamic are very different. Yeah. Right. Than the things that they is bring it more real one way or the other, no, or both real? It's just, just different. different okay. Right. I mean, it's that concept of who am I at work versus who am I at home mm-hmm. versus who am I, you know, on my softball team, if that's what I do, or bowling, or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I am not one of those people that ascribe to, you're not authentic if you're not the same person in all of those scenarios, right? Because Mm -hmm. I believe that you can bring different things and adapt. And, And so personally, for me, where I find I get the biggest bang for the buck in value is when I understand what somebody's coming into, Mm -hmm. right? What they're bringing from those other areas. And then 
what they're bringing and what they see their role is on the team, mm-hmm. right? Because depending on your environment, you know, I, I've worked with people who are um, heads down. I'm an independent doer. I'm not really interested in a whole lot of collaboration and work. I want to do my job and And those are on. people that are supposedly on this team, whatever this team is. Yes, okay, right? Gotcha. So they're on this team and you're thinking, what is wrong with you? And like, yeah. we all have to be together and we have to go to dinner. And da-da. No, because you know what? This person is very passionate and loves what they're doing here. But they're a semi-professional cyclist, and so you know they clock in and clock out, and then have mm-hmm. that whole other thing going on. And oh, mm-hmm. by the way, our major leaders in that world—they mm-hmm. just choose not to play that role here, yeah. right? And I, I think when you're talking about teams too, that's incredibly important too, is to understand the roles that people are playing, and understand if they like those roles, yeah. if they feel like those roles fit. You know, I think another thing, and and it's certainly been... You mentioned something, this individual contributor thing. I run into that a lot. I recently had to go to Florida, and I would not worked with this team of people before. And so the guy that wanted to hire me basically said, hey, can you work with a team? I said, I don't know, just get me in front of them. And he said, well, you're going to talk about it. I said, I'm not going to talk. They're going to talk. And what was interesting is is there was a lot of blame and pointing at me. Why am I tying up their time and wasting it? And what I began to realize is they saw their team is no different than the role they normally played. And so what was difficult was how do I get them to kind of, you were saying, you know, at home, at work, on the softball team, whatever, was how do I get them to define this different role where you're not going to be an individual contributor, but 40% of the time, 60% of the time, we need this teamwork, this collaboration, this taking risk and throwing out ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenging thing to get people to do because there's fear of going into the unknown, kind of like we were talking the last podcast. Absolutely. And there's also, and you touched on something really, I think, poignant there is there are also everybody brings underlying beliefs. People are like, hey, if you want to create a team, you know, change the behaviors of the team, things of that nature. Well, to me, the only way that you can do that is to understand what the beliefs are that are driving that behavior. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you're just playing at the margins. You might get them to adapt here. Mm -hmm. But if you don't understand, so in that case, that individual on the team who that belief was, I'm an individual contributor. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy or believe it's necessary to collaborate, right? Well, if you don't understand that, right, and that motivation, and you either get past it or you insulate and create an environment where that can work, you're going to be button heads and you're probably not going to have a very successful team. Many of us do not have the opportunity, and in some cases, it's a good thing we don't have the opportunity to simply get rid of the people who aren't playing the game the way we want it played, right? Or who aren't acting like the team. Because sometimes you find that the best team members are those that, you know, you would not have first picked, that on first blush don't mesh, that have different They're too much trouble. Systems. Let's get rid of them. Let's move or, them out. Or they just have yeah. very divergent beliefs. Yeah. Right? I mean, one of the big challenges I think that any organization and certainly I run into as a human being is the homogeneous, right? Like when you get to create, you tend to. Do you like that homogeneous piece? No. Why? Not at all. Because Why? I don't think that it gives you enough perspective, enough creativity, right? Enough differences of thinking. I mean, the world isn't homogeneous. Maybe if the world was, it would work, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I'm in healthcare. We see almost 250,000 people a year. 
they are not the same. They're not even close to the same. And so if I try to develop any team or process with one person, one style, one you know, way of doing things, I am probably going to fail miserably. The homogeneousness right? will kill you. I, I think it but will. But it feels more comfortable it's at the beginning. It's so much more yeah. comfortable. I mean, a lot of people don't they don't like to feel uncomfortable. They don't like to feel, you know, challenged. Some of the best teams, and you, you do have to worry about styles because some people, it, this stresses them out. But, you know, some of the best teams argue like nobody's business, right? But they do it respectfully. They do it with passion and from a particular place, and they know how to do it. I think a lot of times, you know, we put people together in teams and we don't give them any constructs or tools for the right way to behave in this team. So it sounds like some of the tools you're saying, we might need to teach them how to have conflict, challenge each other in a positive way, those elements. And and even if they are things you know how to do, it's setting the construct for this team. Because on this team, it might be highly conflict driven, right? And that might be perfectly fine. And these norms are acceptable. But on this team over here, that doesn't work at all. Those could be two teams in the same company. So do you have these teams write down their norms? How do you get this kind of solidified? I've done as you're both. Identifying? Okay. Yeah, I've done both. Traditionally, I think I um, ebb into the let it naturally happen. Okay. You, know, you mentioned before, get me in front of them and we'll figure it out. Yeah. That's really the way that I typically like to do things. Now, why is that? Why do you like it? Because I hear a lot of people say, well, that's horrible. You're not given enough structure. You need to be clearer with them. Why, why is that better from your point of and view? And I'm not sure I always disagree with that, right? I mean, you know, I'm not sure that there aren't certain cases or just in general where 10 years from now I might not tell you, wow, I've evolved and now it, it's far more structured and well, it works. Well, there's However, exceptions, I agree. Yeah, I, but, think, I think for me, and especially if you're newly working with a team, you know, for me, not having that structure allows us to meander mm-hmm. and end up potentially in a completely different place. In other words, it doesn't set preconceived constructs mm-hmm. right now. I will tell you, I find that far more effective when I already know the people. Right? Okay. You already know people's underlying beliefs, mm-hmm. right? what they bring to the table. I think it's harder when you're bringing together a group of completely new people who you don't know to do that. I think in those cases, and typically, you know, like I'm, I'm on a, I'm the chair of a business section for a national organization. And, you know, we get together and oftentimes there's 10 or 15 people that you've never met before. You know nothing about them, right? And they're coming in and trying to figure out how to assimilate Mm -hmm. and feel comfortable, valued, and adding value to this group. Is there any pre-work done before the meeting? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, okay. but that's where, to me, a more structured approach makes sense, right? Okay. Because you don't have the luxury of relationship, mm-hmm. right? Certainly, at least to start out, mm-hmm. and you don't have the luxury of continued relationship and multiple touch points, mm-hmm. right? These are teams coming together, then disbanding, teams coming together, and then disbanding. Okay. There, I so find a, a little bit more flow. structure, yeah. right? If I'm, you know, if I am teaming with my colleagues at the office Mm -hmm. and in my direct reports, you don't need as much construct because you have some of that, you know, underlying relationship. Uh, Because to me, it, everything in this world is all about relationships, right? No matter what you do. And so I feel like the stronger your relationships are, the more uh, fluid seat of the pants you can be. The less your relationships are defined, I think you better at least have that structure to fall back on in case 
it does not unfold. So as you're talking, part of this is making me think about the what and the how. If you've got strong relationships, you know, we've got to accomplish the what because maybe that's one of the major strategic business goals. But the how can be fluid because we can try different things, da, 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 da. And there's confidence in that group because of the relationship. If you've got lower level of relationship, that's where maybe the pleasant rigidity about the process. Yes. So that you quickly bring in the ideas and people don't check out. I know with teams, I used to think, give it up for the team, give it up for the team. And, you know, and, and, and yeah, you, you need to get a result with this team. But I actually hate teams. I hate them, personally. Why? I don't want to be in a team. Why? Well, because I would you get You just asked, feel more comfortable individually contributing or you don't want to be... What I found is that teams produce a result. I, I like that part. The second thing I liked was that the teams, there's synergy. There's like you and I are doing. We're going back and forth, learning, da, 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 da. But what happens is so many teams do not pay attention to the individual people getting value out of it. So I found out of 10 teams I would get on, eight of those teams would just suck me dry. We'd get the result. Mm -hmm. I'm putting everything into it. There'd be synergy from the team members, but individually, I didn't get what I was looking for. And basically, the team would say, no, no, we can't give you that. This is a team. You have to give it all up for the team. And so that's – I didn't like that. Well, and that that's a really um, predominant shift, I think, even before millennials. But what we're seeing now, too, is, you know, when you and I certainly were growing up, you took a job. Mm-hmm. And you did whatever they wanted. You yep. worked for them. You were a grunt. And that's the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. You do not ask. Now, folks come to interviews and there's like, what's in it for me? Yeah. Right. And so that, that's my that's my MO when we're going to a meeting or when, you know, we're interacting with patients or families or things of that nature is you always have to make sure that people understand what's in it for them. Yes. Every single person, because people require that. Now, some people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are certain times, you know, people will be like, oh, Leanne, you're a giver. Well, <laughs> I, it is it is very selfish, right? Like, you know, I tell people I volunteer, but I volunteer very selfishly because I get the right? emotional like, income. I get a is that high. What it is? Okay, yes, the high. There right? Okay. From that interaction. Yeah. I'd love to tell you, know, I mean, I, I think if I was a real giver, I'd do it for things that I hate and am miserable, right? But, but, to it, me. but would it be sustainable? <laughs> no, right? And that's so, the but, challenge. You know, so yeah. to my point, I think that with teams, Mm-hmm. That is super important is to say what is in it for every single person on this team and realize mm-hmm. that it might be drastically different for every single mm-hmm. member on that team. But to your point, if you're not keeping that in mind, you're probably losing some of those team members. And and y- everyone would love the highly functioning team, right? And there's millions of books and yeah, 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 yeah right? The- I don't believe that that's always the reality, and I don't believe that even that's always needed. In other words, I think you can spend way too much time trying to get people to this nirvana when you don't need it. When you're pushing them outside their comfort zone, like sometimes it's just good enough. Here's what we're trying to get. It's Mm -hmm. It's a finite. This isn't a team forever. I need you to suck it up. Get along with each Mm -hmm. other. Here's the ground rules. Go. Mm -hmm. Now, some would argue that's a really horrible thing and you didn't build a highly fun no because you got the job done right and the job was not to build nirvana yeah. right a wonderful team that sings kumbaya the job was to get this project done 
That, that's a great point because I, I think, it, in fact, it's interesting. I was talking to a business owner that was about to disband the team, and he wanted them to be, you know, like the Green Berets or something. And I'm like, they won't be. They don't need to be. Why? Why you? You got this thing in your head you'll never get, and it just yeah, it's silly. It, well, it's not and worth the to, time, energy, to the effort. point. If you have someone like Don Hadley, right, who for the good or bad right now has no interest in being on a team. Right now, you may need him. You want to say, hey, here's what's in it for you for this, but don't try to make him a team player if that's not what he wants to be. Bring me in temporarily. Right. Give me a specific job. Yeah. Because or, then, hey, live with this for three months. Yeah. I'm going to be, yeah. re- I'm going to be beating yeah. my head against a wall. Yeah. Now, there's also the concept, though, of in certain organizations, you do need people yeah. to team together. Well, the few teams I choose to be on right? now, I love. Yeah, and, and I'll do anything. And why do you love them? Because you feel like you're getting more than you're getting giving. Fat, yeah, absolutely. Right? You feel like you're getting something. Which I used to think was selfish, but it's really a very practical thing. <laughs> I don't think it's And it's selfish. got me to realize I need to pay attention to this with other people. Yeah. Part of this, though, also relates back to glue. Is I, I remember interviewing business owners 35 years ago, and they would all say, well, I'm here because I need to be the glue. I need to keep it together. And so there's another dynamic of teams I find interesting that if the leader needs to be there for the team to be a team, it may not be one of the better teams. How do we get the team feeding each other, collaborating with each other where the leader's less necessary? And I would even suggest it's not just the leader. Okay. It's any member of the team, right? If any one member of your team, if they are not there, is going to completely stymie right? You for meeting your goal, mm-hmm. you may not be well positioned, right? I mean, it's okay. kind of like when I tell people, absolutely no one in any company I have ever worked in, present company included, mm-hmm. is indispensable, Yeah, right? Because I could walk out today and get hit by a bus. And I would hate the thought that the company wouldn't go on if mm-hmm. that happened, yeah. right? If anything, I want that company to go on and potentially be different and better. And and so sometimes I think we also get trapped in we these people are not interchangeable. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people are valuable. And, you know, I have been on teams where it would break my heart if someone left. And yeah. yet at the same time, let's say that that person's goals changed, they mm-hmm. got a new opportunity. I don't want them exiting the team to be a negative for them or the team necessarily. I want the team to collapse into itself. Yeah, you want the team, you want life to go on Mm -hmm. and you want to respect and you want to mourn the loss if it, you know, is something to be Mm -hmm. mourned. But to me, when a team is hugely powerful and impactful is when there's sustainability, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not tied to the leader. Mm Mm-hmm the project manager or any one person, okay. right? What about team building? I hear about this team building stuff. And, you know, it, it's it's it, how do you know you're doing effective team building? To me, it's a general vague concept that I think, you know, in some cases it's really well done. In some cases it's not. How, how do I know what what's the output from good team building? For me, again, it's all about relationships, okay. right? So how do I know that how do you measure teams relationship? are being built well is because there's engagement outside of the confines of okay. whatever's being asked of you. Right now, again, I'm not suggesting your friends that, you know, you hang out after work and for dinner together, mm-hmm. right? But there's a work relationship there, right? And so to me, when teams are working well, 
it's because there are solid relationships. And if one person saw another person outside of the office, or, you know, if I'm sitting at my desk and I'm like, wow, I think that this piece of information or this process could really help. It sounds like they genuinely, authentically want to engage and help the others. You think of others, yeah. And, I, and, and that's different to me than... I'm a touchy-feely people person, and that's where I get my energy. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, there can be extreme introverts who would like nothing more than to sit at a desk all day Mm -hmm. that can have very deep relationships with other people. Because maybe that's just, hey, I saw this article. I saw this tool that I thought you might be able to use. So it's about tangible intellectual value that they're helping. That, that you're helping. To me, that's when a team works. A team where, and, and I think when a team starts to click, too, is when they start to organically generate value outside of even what's being asked. Okay. Right? You know, like, hey, you're given get to X, and maybe you get to X, maybe you don't. But you've also now connected and said, hey, maybe Y is really interesting, too, and might help us. Or, hey, maybe we can do this. Or, hey, maybe we can do that. And find other ways, Mm -hmm. right, to deliver value whether it's with that same team or drawing other people in. So I, th- I think that's when it works and incredibly humbled and fortunate to have amazing team members at Raleigh Neurology. And that's one of the things that really brings me excitement and mm-hmm. fulfillment is that that happens, mm-hmm. right? That somebody comes to me and says, hey, I need you to do this. Hey, I have this idea. Mm-hmm. And I think this person can bring this to the table. Oh, that that's person fantastic. can bring that. Then maybe we need to do that. And we're just, we're creating, right? I mean, we're creating mm-hmm. things that didn't exist. To me, that's when teams... And how does this relate to culture? I'm not sure it does or not, but it, it it's this has to have some impact throughout the organization, I would think, not just on the team. I believe if you've got team-based companies and structures, it really does need to attribute itself to a culture of dependency, right? And I don't mean dependency in a negative way, okay. but understanding that you are part of an ecosystem, right? And that no one person can do it on their own. So can you give me an example of a situation where this kind of played out, that concept actually played out where you could... So um, we're, we're fortunate in that it takes a team to do pretty much anything in healthcare today because mm-hmm. it's so complex. But probably one of the most poignant is when we have system outages. And mm-hmm. everybody happens, right? The power goes out, something happens with your major system. And you are then forced with, how am I going to react? Am I going to cancel all these patients or am I going to go ahead and (laughs) get things done, right? And so perfect example of that, you have an outage. And before we really had, and we're in the process of some team members just developing an amazing process for helping us with that. But what naturally happened was somebody's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Somebody from another part of the organization comes over and says, you know what? I really can't do anything right now, given the outage. So why don't I be a runner? I'll go from building oh, to building, neat. right? And and that'll be my role on this team right now. So they very fluidly shift. They're fluidly, they're coming in, they're figuring out where I can add value. And sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing. I mean, perfect case on you know January 1st, small group of us came together to make sure that we appropriately combed through any insurance changes that happened at 12 
59, right, <laughs> um, on New Year's Eve, and that we were ready to see those patients on the second. And I came in guns blazing, and everybody's kind of working, and um, there were a couple of questions, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go do this, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, come to find out, and again, nobody said, um, we actually have you know, something already in place uh-huh. and you know that's that's one of those scenarios that i also think with teams are important titles don't always beget roles on teams yeah right yeah. i i am on many teams where i am you're not a, ceo a bystander yeah. i'm a participant that is not what i bring to the team yeah. and you know on january 1st of this year that was a learning for me is I injected myself and decided what role I was going to play. Uh-huh. How much more of a non-team player can that be? <laughs> Even though I thought, "Wow, I'm being so helpful," uh-huh. and, and I'm jumping. You've in got the good system, intentions, right? Yes. You've got yeah. the best of intentions, yeah. but that's not what was needed. Yeah, right. And and so I think did somebody step up and say to you at some point, "Hey, by the way, back yes. off." Okay. Yes, which I again, I'm I'm super fortunate because I know that's not always easy. Yeah, right. Yeah. To say, hey. That's great, you know, though. By the way, right? Yeah. You're wrong, you know. Or I need you to stand down. But we as leaders need that because too often we we can get blinded by mm-hmm. our own passion and focus. Yeah. And- so to hopefully circle back and answer that question, mm-hmm. you know, when teams are cranking, to me is when it's not even about a given team. It's the fact that you have that team concept and, mm-hmm. and you're willing to identify who needs to play what role when. Mm-hmm. And people get that concept, mm-hmm. right? And they get the concept of, I might be different things to different people at different times. What, what are we missing? We, we, the part one, we had a lot of discussion. We're talking about teams, culture, some. What are we missing, you think, that's important for somebody that's running an organization? How many people? Y'all have how many? 350? 330 plus right now. Okay. So if you're running an organization of that size and, and you know, our listeners are saying, hey, I want to be effective doing it, or maybe they're doing it and really struggling with it, what, what's missing from our discussion we haven't talked about, even if it's off topic? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that, to kind of go just in a completely different tangent, because mm-hmm. we talked about being present, we talked about listening more than we talk. You know, the, the other thing to me, and again, that although this helps, I think, leaders be one great, I don't think it's germane to leaders, which is you always have to be curious and you always want to learn. Okay. Right? Never assume that you know it all. And always be excited about learning something, right? Because to me, that that constant learning, that's what keeps you excited. Because being a leader constantly means changing, adapting, keeping up with what's mm-hmm. new, what's different. And, and so to me, if I look at leaders that truly have that staying power, mm-hmm. they have an authentic curiosity, mm-hmm. right? That kind of keeps them excited and learning and wanting to meet those new people and wanting to go outside that comfort zone and say, hey, I'm going to look for this type of person that's completely counter Mm -hmm. to what I potentially may be comfortable with. Right. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try it. The other thing, a little bit off topic, but I, I am just really passionate about too, is celebrating failure. You know, I, I think there are, we still live in a culture, at least as an American society, mm-hmm. where failure equals bad. And I am a firm believer, 
right? That yeah. if you ask anybody, where did they learn the most in their life? Where did they, you know, it's take the, the nasty most tough strength? stuff. It's the rotten stuff, yeah. right? Like you have somebody draw because you know I'm big into pictures. You have somebody draw a lifeline, and you say draw the highs and lows, mm-hmm. right? And, and they do, and I have done it multiple times. And then they say you really start working with them, and you're like, where did you really grow? Like mm-hmm. where did the good things happen? And often what you find is you end up turning that upside down, right? Because that's the stuff that really helped them become who they are uh, from that perspective. And I just don't think, and I, I don't think I'm good enough at it yet either, is really celebrating those failures, mm-hmm. right? Because that's when the really good stuff happens next. To me, the right? failures, you, as long as we're learning from them, we should celebrate. Yes, not if you're failing doing the same thing wrong and that's, yeah, 18 the times, piece, right? No, yes. not, you know, I'm talking about, hey, I am willing to go out on a limb and try this. Mm-hmm. And if it fails, mm-hmm. that is completely okay. It's completely okay to say, hey, okay, why did this fail? And I'm going to try it again. You know, we, we just did this the other day um, on something where we, we have tried twice and not had a whole lot of success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people will be like, okay, clearly we just can't do it. And I'm like, yeah, we found two ways not to do it. Yeah. Right. And here's what we learned. Here's what we're going to do this time. Because we're still passionate about that thing needing to be done. I also think there's something about failing at a higher and higher level is you might not have had the success, but if you are starting to bracket or hone in on what the critical elements are. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, that's a clear sign to just keep trucking and keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any of the true inventions, right, whether mm-hmm. it's Thomas Edison, whether it's, right, it's that I kept learning and putting things together. If you look at, you know, um, research and development on disease cures mm-hmm. and things of that nature. They get there by iteratively, mm-hmm. right? Making progress. You didn't quite make it. You failed on this, but you made it here, mm-hmm. but you're learning and you're putting it together. So, you know, I, I always like there's um, several really good graphics that show failures as steps mm-hmm. to success. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that I really like to look at them. To your point, they have to be building blocks, right? Mm-hmm. I have to be putting them together that's going to get me somewhere positive. Mm-hmm. But if I'm doing that, mm-hmm. those are sometimes more valuable than the successes, mm-hmm. as odd as that sounds, right, along the way. And the, you know, the other things that um, sometimes epic failures do is they really let um, team members shine, right? Yeah. They come together and really rely on each other, which is a beautiful unintended consequence often of really bad things happening. Yeah. Right. But it's nice because it's clear and people will step up. I have great faith in human nature ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so those are some tidbits. Well, cool. Yeah. What are the two or three biggest, most valuable beliefs that you've got about life just in general? Wow. That's that's awfully heady, Don. Um, so big beliefs I have about life. And if life. you want to draw a picture for us. That's... So I know. I, I love it. I'm thinking of pictures in my head. Uh-huh. Um, so probably the biggest belief that I have, and again, I'm, you know, I've said it before, is that it's all about relationships. That all we, about relationships. we are a human, right? Mm-hmm. Life is about humanity. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, that really drives almost everything. And business everything. is about humanity. So everything, everything. right, yeah. is about humanity. So I think if if you have that construct and you realize that, you know, we are interconnected and that mm-hmm. no one can do everything, mm-hmm. right, without It's also very lonely, else, too. And 
true, but again, that that might be your thing. You may not, mm. you know, again, when, when I say it's all about relationships, I don't mean you have to be like me and love to go to, you know, dinners and talk to all these people mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But there is an amount of humanity and connectedness mm-hmm. in order to not only survive but thrive. So I think that's that's one. Okay. Um, you know, I do have that other core belief that we talked about on the last podcast of everything comes from either a position or love or fear. That's a neat one and a and nice way to say it. if you determine that, it can allow you, mm-hmm. right, to know how to navigate and react. And I think if, if you look from that perspective – um, that you can do that, um, and maybe one that's a little bit more flighty and um, out there. But, you know, I'm a firm believer, too, there's good and bad in everybody, right? Yeah. It, it's not black and white, and good people sometimes do things that aren't good, and, you know, not good people sometimes do amazing things. And so it's don't – don't stick a label. My grandparents used to say there is so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us that mm-hmm. it ill behooves most of us to talk about the rest of us. Yeah, <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's that, that's those are probably three. Well, cool. Well, thank you very much for that. Any last words or recommendation to either me not wanting to be on teams or with the uh, so I have to tell you there's there's some wonderful I'm a big podcast person I mean you know in in today's day and age there is too much information out there Mm -hmm. right and and keeping up with it is Mm -hmm. overwhelming and so you know for me um, podcasts are beautiful especially podcasts like yours Don that are short manageable chunks right that you can listen to in the car and things of that nature Um, i'm a huge fan find some subscribe kind of change them up because literally if you can find the ones that are 30 minutes or less even um you know there's a great ted talk one where they'll summarize ted talks there's one from the wall street journal every day that'll encapsulate those days there's ones on happiness i mean whatever you want they're out there the cool thing is then every day you can kind of keep that curiosity and learning Mm -hmm. in really little segments Right, whether it's while you're getting ready for work, if you're like me and have a fairly sizable commute, mm-hmm. it, but utilize um, you know tools. And then the other thing I, that I would say is, don't feel like you have to know it or look at it or do it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've had that issue too, where it's like, oh well, I need to read this and this and this, and wait, I didn't read this book. This <laughs> yeah, book right? yeah. There, I truly believe there are limits, right? Yeah, and so yeah. choose wisely, and then live. Yeah, and live. That's a good <laughs> and thing. Live. So. Well, good deal. Yes. Good so thank deal. you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much. This was Leanne Garms, CEO of Raleigh Neurology. This is Building a Leadership Culture podcast. We've got lots of books, podcasts, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by Don Hadley, owner and president of Applied Vision Works. Any questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works.